winding down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. And I'm Chris McCarthy. And we're joined now by Tim White of WPRI. Hey, Tim. Hey, guys. Good to be back on the show. Hey, thanks for joining us, Tim, hey. on such a, such a uh, quick notice. Um, yeah. So, Tim, um, as everybody knows, you are the expert on the New England Mafia. Um, you've been writing on them, covering them uh, for decades. Um, you've written a major book, The Last Great Heist. Um, uh, all about the patriarchal crime family and one of the great robberies, if they can be called a great robbery. Um, but we, we, we had a, um, a change in development recently. Cadillac Frank Salemi has passed away in protective custody, I believe, down in the federal system. Tell people, tell people who don't know, who was Cadillac Frank Salemi? Well, Cadillac Frank was a former mafia boss of the New England crime family. He took over after Raymond Jr. Patriarca in the um, early 1990s when uh, Jr. was indicted in, and imprisoned uh, for running the New England crime family, La Cosa Nostra here. Um, you know, Salemi was a, he rose quickly uh, in the ranks of the underworld when he was uh, released from prison in the mid-1980s, as a matter of fact, that it, he, he put himself on the radar screen and was uh, shot multiple times outside a pancake house in Saugus, Massachusetts, because he was a rising star. And there was unrest uh, in the New England crime family, a real power grab at that time. Uh, so he took over, uh, and then he was part of the sweeping indictments in 1995 that also uh, charged Whitey Bulger, who went into hiding, as we all know, for 10 years, and Stephen the Rifleman Fleming. Um, eventually, because he felt betrayed by Bulger and Fleming, um, he shared what he knew of those two guys, um, because, as we all know now, and as Salemi learned while he was sitting in prison, Bulger and Fleming were both top echelon informants for the FBI. So after he in a sense, cooperated in a very narrow sense. He he didn't tell everything. He went into the witness protection program. We know now he was down in Atlanta under an assumed name. I, I broke the story years ago that he he was actually part of a New England fans, uh, a New England Patriots fan club down in <laughs> Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, eventually, he left the witness protection program and said, uh, forget it. I'm going to go back to Boston, which is exactly what he did. Uh, and he was you know, out and about in Boston until he was arrested in 2016 or 2017 for the uh, the gangland slaying of a Boston nightclub owner in 1993 by the name of Stephen DeSaro. DeSaro's body was exhumed from behind a Branch Avenue mill building in Providence in 2016. He was sentenced, uh, Salemi was sentenced to life in 2018 along with another man, a guy, an associate named Paul Wiedek. So uh, that is the very kind of quick biography of Salemi. He was a gentleman in a federal prison out in Missouri uh, when he died on Tuesday. He was 89 years old. 
the Federal Bureau of Prisons is not releasing um, yet the nature of, of the death. It still has to go through an autopsy and all that. But I can tell you, you know, just in talking to people in his orbit, he was in poor health. Um, he, again, he was 89 years old, so he was older. And that uh, the prison that he was in was actually a, a federal medical facility to deal with his, you know, myriad of health issues. So while we haven't been told officially, it's looking like it was just he was an old man that died of natural causes. Uh, very rare for people in his business to die that way, but but yeah. he did. Um, Tim, <clears throat> so one of the uh, the things about Cadillac Frank Salemi um, is that he was a boss in New England, which made him the boss of Bristol County as well. And he did have yep. business affairs, criminal business affairs here in Bristol County. Um, I think t- you covered um, some of the bookie trials, some of the bookies that were that were. Um, Involved with being shaken down by some of his underlings, guys like Kevin Hanrahan, uh, Gordon O'Brien, people like that up in the Taunton area. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, first of all, when you're the boss, you're the boss of, uh, you know, the the entire domain that the patriarchic uh, crime family covers, which was a pretty robust area from south uh, southern New, uh, New Hampshire, uh, obviously into Rhode Island, did not include, in, of course, in, in Boston, did not include Western Massachusetts or Connecticut, where uh, the New York families uh, had uh, taken control. But yeah, look, uh, so let me from Sharon, Massachusetts. So he had a very strong connection, not only to the Boston faction, but he was also very tight with the Providence faction. He, uh, he was uh, really close with who would eventually take over for him, uh, Louis Menacchio, Louis Baby Shacks Menacchio. So he had strong ties to southeastern Massachusetts, to Taunton, to New Bedford, to Fall River. He had a lot of bookies uh, under his control. And the two guys that you just named there, Gordon O'Brien and, and uh, Kevin Hanrahan, I mean, these were real enforcers, scary guys in the area that would shake down, um, uh, you know, bookies for protection money. The problem is uh, Kevin Hanrahan and uh, uh, Frank Salemi, uh, you know, they sort of, didn't get along, to put right. it mildly, and uh, and Salemi felt that Hanrahan was encroaching too much uh, in, into his territory, if you will, or or doing more than he he should be doing. Uh, and eventually, Kevin Hanrahan was walking out of a uh, Federal Hill restaurant in Providence, and he was uh, shot several times to the head and, and killed. That was in 1992. That. A crime has, believe it or not, uh, gone, as we've talked about, Chris, unsolved. Uh, since that happened, uh, there was some court filings that suggested uh, former mob capo Robert DeLuca was ready to testify who took part in the in those murders. But no one has actually ever, ever been charged. But, you know, in 1992, who was boss? That, of course, was Cadillac Frank Salemi. And traditionally, no hit uh, like that would happen without the okay with the top guy. And in this case, I would argue with the underboss. The underboss at the time was Louis Minacchio. So there was a lot of tension between, I would say, uh, Salemi, Minacchio, and some of the players in the Taunton, New Bedford, Fall River area. So we're speaking with Tim White from WPRI, one of the leading uh, organized crime experts um, in the in the area, really, in the country. So, Tim, um, 
I th- you might have touched on this, but uh, Salemi had served, I think, uh, he was sentenced to 11 years in prison. He had uh, gotten out on early release and do a, a federal witness protection program. But that was a result of learning that um, that Whitey Bulger and uh, Steve Flemmy, uh, his, um, his, his number two, were uh, FBI informants. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's 100% correct. I mean, he... Look, he was a very old-school guy. Um, I think Salemi could have done a lot of things to get himself out of prison much earlier. And the only thing that really prompted him to ever cooperate, and I use that term really loosely in the context of Salemi, uh, cooperate with the government, was when he learned that two guys he was real tight with, Bulger and Salemi, were those top echelon informants. They had been feeding information to the Department of Justice, to the FBI, to a corrupt FBI agent by the name of John Conley, uh, for years that would undercut the the mafia, the La Cosa Nostra players in the New England region. And a lot of that was self-serving. It would it would benefit Bulger and Fleming's, uh, you know, their business if they could take out the traditional La Cosa Nostra mafia of New England, and they could swoop in and take in some of that business. Of course, Salemi didn't know that that was happening until he was sitting in a prison following that 1995 indictment. So I say loosely cooperated with the government because he helped share information that ultimately led to the conviction of John Conley. He did not share. When you cooperate with the government, you have to do what's called a proper session, and that's when you go into the room and you tell the FBI agents and the U.S. Attorney's Office everything you know about every crime, and you have to share it all then and there. And if you don't, then the agreement you have with the with the government is null and void. Um, and the uh, cooperation that Salami had, again, I, I keep describing it as loose, came back to bite him because he did not share what he knew of the DeSaro murder. Right. Um, and because of that, he was um, he was arrested and ultimately sentenced in 2018, and that turned out to, as we know, be uh, be a death sentence. And a, real quick, a big part of that, of course, is the reason he didn't cooperate was it would have implicated his own son. Now right, right. his son had died in 1995 of natural causes, but that's sort of that old school, you know, uh, part of his old school character that that there was. He wasn't going to implicate um, his late son. Uh, who, uh, as prosecutors laid out in the trial, actually strangled the sorrow as the elder Salemi uh, looked on and Paul Wiedek held his legs to the ground. Very gruesome scene that uh, played out in Salemi Sharon, Massachusetts home. And just to clarify for people, he could have, um, he, he basically there was immunity on the table for things that he did. He, he was discussing with the FBI w- with relation to John Connolly. And if he had included that in the discussion, it would have been covered under this uh, immunity agreement that he had with the federal government. Is that a correct assessment? It's the federal government, that's right. If the federal government had signed off, of course. Now right. we're talking about a very serious crime. He had ordered the murder of Stephen DeSaro because he thought, uh, that the sorrow was cooperating with the government, we should say there's no evidence that that uh, DeSaro was at the time. Salemi, his son, uh, they were silent partners in that uh, nightclub in, in South Boston. Um, but channel, yeah. yeah, you're right. Generally speaking, the structure is, look, I did bad things. Uh, I'm here to cooperate with you about case A, but I really need to tell you about B, C, and D. And if I testify truthfully uh, in case A, then I 
you know, either I will get a much lesser sentence for all the other bad things that I did, or as you used, there will be immunity uh, in those cases. It depends on how big and how badly the government wants to, to you know, take down the person or persons uh, for the case in which you're being asked to testify for. So we're speaking with Tim White of WPRI. If you if you want to learn more about this this story and a lot of the other investigative stuff regarding organized crime that Tim has done, you go to WPRI.com. There's also old videos up on YouTube. It's really worth your time if you're interested in this subject. Um, Tim, one of the, um, the things about uh, th- this particular case is... There were other people involved in it. And I noticed in your story today that you particularly mentioned his lawyer said that he felt bad about the damage he had done to his family and to other people's families. And when when you wrote that, you know, quoted his lawyer, I thought back on just this very same thing. He overlooks his son, who he orders, to strangle to sorrow. I also have, from very decidedly non-law enforcement sources, <laughs> some stories about Salemi to include where he ordered his son from prison to shoot someone in the North End. I mean, he was hardly my dad or your dad, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think what happens, Chris, uh, and I've seen this a lot, is there's revisionist history uh, when it comes to figures like this in organized crime. And I... I found that um, these leaders of the underworld are later, you know, lauded and looked back at as almost kind of godlike figures in certain areas. And and what that does is it glosses over the really bad things that they did and the impact that organized crime had, uh, you know, it still exists, but particularly in the time when Salemi was on the street, had on a community you know, businesses just trying to open up a pizza shop, trying to open up would be shaken down for protection money. Um, and who are those costs pass, passed on to? They're, they're passed on to the consumer, of course. You know, the people were murdered and do not believe the lie that is perpetuated by movies like The Godfather that, um, you know, La Cosa Nostra d- did not get involved in the narcotics trade. That is total bogus totally bogus uh they you know will make money any way they can and in drug dealing uh the last time i checked could be very profitable so <laughs> um you know this is the type of uh, sheen that is put over uh characters like this you know that um i think can really detract from what is the true story and the true harm uh that comes from from these types of crimes i will say however that in my very small interactions with Salemi in the, you know, covering the trials of the trial, I should say, at federal court in Boston and his interactions with uh, folks like me who covered a gavel to gavel, a great reporter at the Boston Globe, Shelley Murphy, who has done just yeoman's work on, on all of this. He was always very cordial. He understood the role that we played. You know, he's a mobster. He does bad things. The cops try to catch him and we tell that story. So he was, um, you know, it, it, in a very narrow sense, he was always very respectful and uh, certainly interesting Interesting to cover on a daily basis during the trial. So, Tim, one of the um, interesting things is that, that I was thinking, of, you know, reflecting on this and what I knew was going to be our conversation, but his life was very much involved in a New Bedford gangster by the name of Joe Barboza. 
Mm. He went to prison because he put a bomb in Joe Barbosa's lawyer's car at the orders of of uh, Raymond Patriarca. Yeah, Fitzgerald was the uh, prosecutor that was blown up, and he lost his leg. He survived, but he lost his leg. And then later on, when he took over, the guy who opposed him was J.R. Russo, who the reason he had such street credibility, I'm told he looked like Rommel. He would dress a long leather coat and walking around East Boston. He looked like Rommel, the general, um, the Nazi general. But J.R. Russo, his claim to fame was he murdered Joe Barboza in, in California. And that was the guy who later on went head-to-head with Cadillac Frank Salemi. Yeah, I mean, there was a power grab there. And if you want to look, if you want to see what J.R. Russo looks like, just a, uh, it's interesting you mentioned that, Chris, because I was reviewing a bunch of video that I had to put together uh, the Salemi the obituary. I did a, a bigger piece today for Channel 12. The story broke, I broke the story of his death on Sunday, filed something for WPRI.com because my phone suddenly, you know, blew up. Right. But uh, today, for TV, I was able to flesh it out a little bit more. And for people, if anyone's interested in seeing your rather interesting description of J.R. Russo, Russo, we have undercover video of him uh, that we ran in a a documentary that I did. Oh, boy, when was it? 2019, which we refer to as uh, the Mafia Tapes. I think I came on your show for this, Chris. You did. You did, Um, yes. Okay. And this is the famous 1989 induction ceremony in Medford, Massachusetts, presided over by Raymond Jr. Patriarca. And this was an induction ceremony that uh, came to be in the wake of the shooting of Frank Salemi and a guy by the name of Billy Grasso, who was killed down in Connecticut. Um, This was Patriarca's way of trying to bring, um, bring the family together, induct some new members that uh, particularly an angry faction in Boston and parts of Springfield wanted into the family at the time. Um, and that was really when J.R. Russo was in the North End was very, um, very, very po- powerful. But nonetheless, my, you know, Channel 12 at the time had gotten undercover video of Russo. And I put that video into the documentary. It's on our website if anybody's interested in learning a little bit more about him. And uh, and to see if he matches the description that you gave. I think, um, and for just for for clarification, I think people will will recognize uh, induction ceremony as what will, will a lot of people recognize it as uh, quote unquote getting made. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, other phrases for it, you earn your button. Right. Um, this is you know where you know it really. This part is even though my comments on uh, you know despite my comments on the Godfather that. This was really something that was ripped out of a movie. It felt like the 1989 induction ceremony. It was just an audio recording. I don't want to say just because that was the first time it happened. And since then, it hasn't happened again, which is why we still talk about it. But it is that whole thing where they burn the card of the patron saint of the Patriarch crime family in their hand. They prick their trigger finger. They have to swear an oath in Sicilian. Um, so it was a, you know, a very formal, if you will, ceremony. That was followed by, I'm sure, plenty of uh, red wine and, and celebration afterwards. But what that induction ceremony did was it 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 proved in a legal sense, if you will, the existence of organized crime. And I know that sounds silly uh, here, but you got to keep in mind in 1989, you know, a, a lot of the defense to this stuff was, oh, a bunch of guys get together for a social club and you call it organized crime. Right. You could then use this induction ceremony tape, not only in in the New England crime family, but it was used in 
in organized crime cases uh, across the country if, if prosecutors were successful in entering it into evidence to prove the existence of La Cosa Nostra. So it was devastating. It was a real embarrassment to the patriarchal crime family that that had been recorded. So, Tim, um, what is the state now? You, you've been doing a lot of work. You recently did an investigation on the, the marijuana, legal marijuana business in Rhode Island, mm. and it's ties to a member of the legislative staff down there. Uh, what is the current state of organized crime as best you understand it? Yeah, it, it is certainly a shell. Um, and, I, and I'm quoting people I talked to. This is not my assessment of it, but, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of people in law enforcement, in different agencies in law enforcement. And it's always interesting to get the different intelligence depending on the agency, uh, you know, that is giving you what you're asking for. Uh, and also talking to some folks on the street, trying to keep your ear to the rails on this sort of a thing. But it is a shell of what it once was, particularly in the 70s, 80s, and even into the 1990s. There have been some devastating uh, cases that have really cut the ranks of organized crime. Of course, the RICO statute that I think was passed in 1968 or 1969 didn't really take effect or wasn't really used by prosecutors until well into the 70s. And it's just been eroding mob families across the country for decades. In uh, New England, does it still exist? It does. Um, but in, you know, very, it's very scaled back. The family relies less on maid members and more on mob associates. Um, there's a faction here in Rhode Island. As a matter of fact, the underboss in Rhode Island has, was recently, and we put it in the report you just referenced, uh, identified as Eddie Lato, who is a longtime capo who got out of federal prison a few years ago. And the uh, boss was identified in uh, state police reports as Carmen Denunzio of the North End in Boston. And that's usually the case. Uh, you know, historically, the balance of power shifts between uh, Boston and Providence. But uh, mob boss hasn't existed in Providence since Louis Menacchio. Um, around 2009, he stepped down. He was ultimately indicted in 2011 and he went off to prison for i think five and a half years was his sentence but that's the last time a mob boss was at a federal hill in providence and since then it's been sort of a series of people um i said north end of providence i meant uh, federal hill in providence it's been a series of people of, of bosses out of the north end uh in boston uh with again the underboss being in rhode island so we've been speaking with Tim White. By the way, folks, if you have not done with your Christmas shopping yet and you like this kind of stuff, you have someone in your family, Tim's book is The Last Good Heist. The Last Good Heist by Tim White, and he's got some co-authors as well. It's a fantastic book, and you'll recognize some names in it. And we also, uh, we had your, your partner, Ted Nisi, on uh, last week um, for, for a couple hours. It was a lot of fun. You guys host a program called Newsmakers on Channel 12. Uh, before we let you go, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Newsmakers is primarily a political show. Or boy, it really has been the past year because of elections. Yeah, uh, moderated some debates. I think our last debate was Bristol County Sheriff, and we thank both of you for doing the, the debate before us. Thank you, right? Uh, because yeah. Ted and I could watch your debate <laughs> in that race, um, and which I think went for almost two hours. It went for two uh, hours. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah it was I, intense and, in here. <laughs> well, that is putting it politely. I, again, we, we were able to watch it, um, right. and then we followed up a couple of weeks later. Uh, 
Um, so that's we do debates on the show, and obviously we try to bring in uh, figures of public interest uh, and all that. Even though we're through the elections, it still uh, still leans heavily into politics. This is probably uh, one week that's an exception going into Christmas week. We're bringing in the outgoing bishop of the uh, Roman Catholic Diocese of Providence, uh, Thomas Tobin. Oh, this is cool. going to be his final appearance uh, on the show, and it seems appropriate doing so going into Christmas. So sure. I appreciate you asking that. It airs every Sunday, and, and you can uh, catch it on WPRI.com if you're uh, interested in politics, Southeastern Mass, and Rhode Island. Thanks for joining us, Tim. Hey, thanks, Tim. Have a wonderful Christmas, you and your family. Yeah, Merry Christmas, guys. Thanks again for having me on. Thanks, Absolutely. Tim. That was Tim White, WPRI uh, news anchor, organized crime expert, uh, the host of Newsmakers. Appreciate him uh, Appreciate him joining us uh, this evening to talk about the recent path, passing in life of uh, uh, an infamous mobster, Ca- uh, Cadillac Frank Salemi. All right, so we are going to take a break, and we'll be right back. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris and Marcus. With uh, Tim White, yeah, Tim's a good guy, and you know what? You know what, Marcus? We're lucky to get him. If you, if you, many of our listeners probably do, if you go on true true crime podcasts, you'll see him out there. Yeah, you know he's he's being interviewed by by people in 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 Detroit, people in New York City. Yeah, they all bring him on because he is an expert, an unbelievable expert. Yeah, so that was, and, and the podcast will be up on that. Uh, Tim White and Ted Nisi again put on a great show, Newsmakers. I listen to the podcast actually because it comes out on Fridays, and it's a good interview with uh, like local people too. You know, right. they they had um they had the Bristol County Sheriff's debate, which was great, and they they had recently Providence Mayor, uh, incoming Providence Mayor Brett Smiley, which was an excellent conversation. That was a fantastic conversation. In fact, Marcus, um, I've sent that out to a couple of elected or want to be elected officials for yeah. this area because i think there was a lot in that conversation that's applicable to massachusetts it's also to, to new bedford he's also the model of what people should expect from a mayor um to be that um granularly policy uh driven in the best of both worlds in the best of all worlds right yeah exactly i mean he's really really competent and um he uh and, and again our own mayor john mitchell has been on newsmakers sure. uh, scott lang has been on there um they really cover Southeastern Massachusetts. I think the best of any station over there in Rhode Island. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And um, just, of course, they're from you know Ted's from Bristol County. Yeah, Ted's from Attleboro. Yeah. Uh, so the um, the the thing uh, I wanted a fun fact about John Connolly, which isn't really even about John Connolly, just so people kind of get the idea of who John Connolly is. Matt Damon in the in the Departed. Yes. His character was based on John Connolly. Matt Damon played a state police detective that was uh in bed with um the uh the Jack Nicholson, the mob boss at the time, Frank I forget his name. It's not a real person. So Frank Costello. Frank Costello and uh Frenchie was Steve uh, Steve Flemmy in yes. that in that story? So Matt 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 Damon is the is the sort of uh, model of what you're probably looking for with uh, with if you want to get an an idea of who John Connolly uh, John Connolly was. You look at The Departed that was loosely based on on the uh, the exploits of um, the exploits of Whitey Bulger and actually a, a great film. So uh, the yeah. um, the other thing that they do have out there, if you're interested, you can read Frank Salemi's testimony to the Congress. Yeah. Um, which is incredibly detailed. And I know there's some redacted pieces to it, what they, they took in camera testimony, so it's not in the public domain. Um, 
But one of the stories I'm hearing from my sources out there is that Whitey Bulger, so Steve Flemmy of South, Steve, help me here, Steve Lynch, Congressman Steve Lynch of South Boston was on that committee. Okay. Okay. And after doing his work on FBI corruption regarding Whitey Bulger, he picked up a relationship in the best sense of the word with Whitey Bulger. Okay. Okay. And was beginning to gather testimony from Whitey Bulger. Okay. About more corruption within the FBI. No kidding. Well. Whitey Bulger was then transferred. Yeah. To his death sentence. In West Virginia, in a West Virginia prison. With guys who had been on the street with him. Right. You had a rival, the rival faction to his buddy, Salemi. Mm-hmm. He's one of the guys alleged to have killed him. And you also had Freddie Geese, whose attorney I had on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that. Yeah. Cardinelli, Tony yes. Cardinelli, who's an extremely experienced organized crime lawyer, um, who announced on the, my radio program that his client had definitely killed Whitey Bulger. <laughs> <laughs> because Freddie Geese hates rats. Right. Freddie Geese is doing life. He's a, he's a Springfield mobster. Yeah. Doing li- a Greek guy, but doing life because of rats like Whitey Bulger. And so he killed him. Um, and his lawyer announced that on the program. Not that his lawyer was in the cell, but his lawyer knew, basically. Yeah. Now, my understanding is that Steve Lynch was getting more information about how the upper echelon informants program worked with the FBI. Because remember, Conley is the only FBI agent to go to jail. Right. The only yeah. FBI agent to go yeah. to jail. <laughs> and there are a lot of FBI agents to include Joe Pistone, yeah. who's Donnie Brasco in the movie. Yes. Right? Right. Joe Pistone still holds a candle for John Conley. Right. Joe Pistone had a sit-down meeting with Whitey Bulger when Conley was working with him as an informant. Right. You, you're saying that there might be criminal elements in the Federal Bureau of Investigation? <laughs> I'm saying that there's FBI Hold testimony on, that's worth your Hold reading. Hold on. I, right. yeah, the I Congress has solicited testimony. <laughs> I, I will give you something. Another Howie Carr, own Howie Carr. Yes. Again, my understanding is another lear- learned person in the uh, organized uh, crime potential victim. I mean, I mean, not you know, learned isn't he reported on it? Yes, <laughs> yeah, and potentially was a victim. Yes, they right. Were gonna, you know, yeah. Reading. Yeah, this whole my understanding is he wrote many of the questions that Dan Burton asked. Wow, in those hearings, um, of 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 Bulger's brother, uh, Bill Bulger. Yep. Um. But my point being is that there's a lot of stuff out there online that you can read. You can read it yourself. And and I would encourage you to go to WPRI.com. 508-996-0500 so you can get the program. Open phone lines now that we're through those robust discussions. Good evening. You're live. You'll never believe it, guys. What's that? Hi, gentlemen. Hey, hey what's, what's up? Gilly Safiola. Oh, hey, Gilly. Hey, Gilly what's going on? <laughs> Good. How you feeling, Chris? Good. I'm feeling great. Thanks for asking, Gilly. Yeah. Okay. I read your article in, in, your, in your thing there. Me? Marcus. Yeah, yeah, uh, about the, um, you know you know what, uh, Gilly, I'll, I'll give you some credit here because I wasn't able to cover the meeting. I was, I was here. But um, you had called into the mayor 
uh, on Wednesday to the Tim Weisberg show, and you had brought up yeah. the issue of there being a lack of quorum. And so, and I saw Shane Burgo had posted something on his uh, social media accounts about um, about him walking out of the meeting. And so I was like, well, this is great. This is it. This is and that, that added context for the uh, the column that I wrote. His uh, Mitchell's comments on on uh, on on W on WBSM. So it's it's amazing that city council. Now, you know how long I've been going to those city council meetings? Even before John Saunders got elected in 83. Right. Okay? I used to go there when they used to roll Saltzman out in his chair. <laughs> threw him out of the room. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Now, I know the rules there. Okay? But, you know, it's funny. You're talking about a quorum. Okay? The quorum is six people. Uh, no, the the quorum was seven, apparently. No, 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 no. See, that's the thing, because you have enough to have a meeting if you have six people. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, a quorum is six. You can't start a meeting without six. Okay. But okay. just 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 for context, though, so people know what uh, if people who are listening might not have uh, looked on WBSM.com. I wrote a right. column today uh, on the appointments and briefings meeting in the city council that had seven counselors there. Uh, Shane Burgo had objected to the number of counselors being there, saying it wasn't enough. Eight. Yeah. So there were so there were seven there. Three weren't three weren't. Uh, Councilor Dunn's gone. Obviously, he he resigned. Uh, Lima wasn't there. Gomes Gomes. Lima was there. Lima was there before he left earlier. He yeah, left. He left because he, he didn't want to get involved. He left. I don't. I don't know the reasons he left. He didn't give a reason on the record. But Lima wasn't there. Uh, Abreu wasn't there, and Gomes wasn't there. And so right. Burgo had said there there are too few counselors to do this meeting. These are important item agenda items. They should have more more counselors here. There was a motion. He put it on the floor, <clears throat> and uh, to adjourn immediately as the uh, as the meeting began. And the motion failed three to four. Uh, Burgo well, had he passed. He, he, he I mean the motion. The motion. Got a second from Ryan. Yep. And then the motion failed three to four with Ryan uh, Pereira voting for Burgo voting for. And yeah. Baptiste voting for, and then Car uh, Carney voting against, Marky voting against, Giesta voting against, and Morad voting against. After the motion had failed, Burgo, uh, Councillor Burgo, uh, walked out of council chambers, which I made. he was going to trip. I thought he, him and Pereira were going to trip on the way out the door. So, <laughs> so, so Burgo left, and then the, the meeting was then down to six councillors, which. Was not the required amount for which was l fewer no, than no no no. But see, they left. The meeting was already adjourned. Wait, did, so did Ryan leave? To, did Ryan leave too? Yes, both of them. Oh. After, they voted, after they voted, not to have the meeting. Oh, there were seven people there. They had a quorum. They could have still taken votes. Oh, okay. So that's new information that wasn't told to me by anybody that I well, talked I'm to on the you. council. I appreciate it um, because Billy I, is a good source. Yeah, that was that was good. I didn't so because I didn't know Ryan had left as well. Uh, that makes more sense. Uh, that makes more sense if the quorum was six. So and you know, you know, it's funny. You want to see the real funny part about it? I he came to me. Ryan came to me and said to me that. Linda is a no. 
in my case, you know, the one that I got on there. I'm not going to mention names because we all know what I'm talking about. Okay. You, know, you guys know it. My case was on there. Okay? So I said I still want to vote. I don't care if he loses. I want to vote. Yeah. But they decided not to. They had enough people. They had seven consulates. You could still vote. Right, but they left. And those two left, and then it became the it became adjourned, five. After the, after the thing was adjourned. Right. And that, that place was packed. Right. He was. They had to be at least forty people. In I, I saw. I saw. I saw that. You know, I've been to quite a few council meetings myself, and that was I just just a cursory look at the at the tapes. That was one of the better attended council meetings that I've seen for sure. That sure was. It was packed. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, how about the people? They had ten motions on there, ten things to do. Naomi yeah. Connie is that she's the. <laughs> She's, the, she's, she's holding everything back. She's chair of the committee. So uh, yes. Naomi Carney, for people to know, is chair of the committee on appointments and briefings. You're saying you she's holding it back? Why? Excuse me? Why do you say she's holding it back? Well, I'm going to say this because my case was put on there on October 18th mm-hmm. by the mayor for the liquor licensing board. Oh. Okay? And that was on the thing on the 18th. She held it back all the way until November. Mm-hmm. They could have voted with that before. When did uh, when did uh, Dunn resign? Dunn resigned. Uh, Dunn resigned on um, effective December first, right? Yeah. Oh. This was put on. This was put on when Dunn was okay. There, so they so, so this is my fault. Naomi Carney's texting me now that the quorum is six, and she told me that in a text, and uh, so. Uh, I made a mistake. Okay, it happens. The point of the the point of the the point of the uh, that was my mistake, and I uh, sorry Naomi uh, for uh, for misreading the um, the text message. So um, and and apparently not reporting fully what happened because I didn't understand. But um, but uh, the the point is is that there was a quorum. Um, they wanted to continue with the meeting. Two counselors objected to that and walked out, and then the meeting. Uh, could not continue. Uh, uh, Naomi, Naomi, who chairs that committee, couldn't continue the meeting, so she had to move to adjourn um, because they couldn't take votes. But you're saying they adjourned before they walked out. Listen, yes. right? They adjourned. That's when they ran out that door. No, no. Okay, I mean, I saw the video. I saw the video. Burgo walked out, and then they after the vote, though, uh, Marcus. Yeah, after the after vote. After the vote, they. They had seven counselors there. Okay? They had 10 people. There was another, what, eight people that were there to get a vote? It's so funny how they, they pushed um, uh, Josh Emerald. They pushed him through in two weeks. So they adjourned the meeting when they had items on the agenda? Yes. Yes, and they had enough. They had enough people to take votes there. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, they had votes. I mean, let me put it this way: Linda Morad, when poor Ian, the last the first, the last city council meeting that they had held on a Tuesday at the beginning of the, uh, uh, and they were going to adjourn, and, and Maria Giesta, she said, "Excuse me," and she thanked Ian. For uh, you know, being city council for the year and everything, and blah 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 and blah blah blah, gave her a lot of credit and everything. Every city councilor clapped. 
every city <laughs> councilor club except Linda Morad. Okay. See, you you got those pictures I gave you, Marcus. Her as a tyrant. <laughs> the, she does hate clapping. She does. Well, she, that's a big thing. Well, I even clap for Josh. <laughs> You're not okay? supposed to and clap, Gilly. I even Gilly. stood up and she didn't clap. When she didn't clap for me, and I stood up and I said, hey, "You a vulgar? If you don't, you don't even clap for the guy." Right. But she's always got her, her lapdog. Okay, she she's taking shots at every person on that city council. She is taking pot shots at um, Marky. She is taking pot shots at uh, Maria Giesta. She is taking pots. Uh, yeah, no, no, she going. she does she does she makes like veiled and sometimes not so veiled commentary about people in the city council all the time. I, I've I've heard she, it. Yeah, no, I, I've heard it. Pot it's, shots at them. Yeah, it's all right. It's gruesome and, and unprofessional. It's, yeah. And it, and it's and it's funny that she. She even took, she, she didn't even clap for you in. Um, Gilly, I, I've got to um, I've got to take this. I got to take this break. I do appreciate you calling and raising the issue. It was something we were we were going to talk about in the nine o'clock hour. So thank you for giving us a call. Can I for, come back on the nine o'clock hour? Yeah, sure. 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 Give us a call. All right. Okay. Thank you. All right. Great. Thanks, Gilly. Thanks, Gilly. So again, I want to apologize to Councilor Carney who did send me that text, uh, and uh, I screwed up. I, I messed up. Hey, I, it, it takes a big man to, to admit it. We all do it. It happens. I've done it. I've done it. We've all done it. Yeah, it happens. Um, so uh, I, I am sorry for that. I made the correction. I'll, I'll make a further correction on that. I got to take a break. Listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app. I'm Ray Downs. Strength of America. Our values. Our way of life hasn't just been won on the battlefield. It's won every day in our communities when we come together, extending hands of compassion, service, and hope to those who need it most. For over 100 years, the American Legion has been strengthening communities across our nation by providing life-saving help and support to our veterans and neighbors during times like we're facing today. It's what the Legion's all about. From blood drives to distributing food, from responding to emergencies and protecting the most vulnerable among us, our mission is making America's community stronger. We are one family and therefore we care. We are the American Legion, veterans strengthening America. To learn how you can help, visit legion.org. Real-time reaction to everything that happens after the sun goes down. down the sun comes up. South Coast Tonight with Marcus and Chris is on WBSM. Welcome back to the show. So let's actually, so just to click, um, so there was uh, a meeting uh, last Tuesday, the appropriate, uh, the appropriations committee, this is in Congress, <laughs> the um, appointments and briefings, uh, meet, uh, appointments and briefings committee chaired by Councilor Carney. They had a quorum of seven. Uh, Burgo said it was too few, made a motion. Uh, Pereira seconded and voted for it. Baptiste voted for it as well. It failed. Then Burgo and Pereira walked out uh, of the meeting. The required call, uh, quorum was six. I thought it was seven because Burgo had left. I didn't see Pereira leave on the uh, on New Bedford Cable Access. Okay. Um, but after they left, there was a, then a, um, then they, there was a, uh, not a quorum, so they couldn't continue with the meeting. Um, I'm going to take a break. Uh, we'll be right back. Uh, this is South Coast Tonight. And we're going to talk more than that. WBS. So, um, we will be back in the nine o'clock hour. We're going to continue talking about this. I, I wrote a column on WBSM.com. Right. 
Um, basically, Councilor Burgo and Pereira had walked out of a meeting uh, on a pro- uh, of a appointments and briefings uh, that was chaired by Councilor Carney. And uh, basically, by them walking out, the quorum, there was no quorum. A quorum is the number of people present required to take votes on something. So, Marcus, we haven't really talked about the council in a while. We talked a little bit about the special election, but we haven't really talked about the inner workings of the council. So we, we got a lot to talk about the next hour, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, if we people do. want to call in, they can at 508-996-0500. And they can also message us on the WBSM app chat. Um, so, again, that was, uh, that was there were five counselors left. They couldn't take votes. And Shane Burgo had suggested that this was on purpose. So um, What's interesting is what Gilly said is that they voted to adjourn. And they could only vote if they had a quorum. Right. So he's saying they voted to adjourn before those guys walked out. They voted to adjourn. The vote failed. That's in the video. Okay, the vote failed. The vote failed. They voted to adjourn. Burgo immediately moved to adjourn. Pereira immediately seconded the vote. Then uh, Pereira, Burgo, and Baptiste voted to adjourn. And Morad, Carney, uh, Giesta, and Markey voted against. So the motion failed three to four. Burgo and Pereira then walked out of the meeting. Um, that uh, and thus ending the uh, and thus ending the quorum. And he told you that was done on purpose.